Thank you, Melanie. It's beautiful. I would ask that you take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs is part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament of the Jewish people, found after the book of Psalms. So if you just open the Bible in the middle, and you'll find it right after that. It's a collection of the, the wisdom that the people of God discovered from God and from experiencing life itself. And it's a gift from God, as we'll see. I've always liked the observations that Dante and St. Augustine make as they explore together how is it that God reveals himself to us. Peter Crift agrees, and he says this, What did Dante mean when he spoke of the love that moves the sun and all the stars in the last line of his divine comedy? Didn't he know that it was gravity? St. Augustine said that love was a kind of gravity. Is gravity also a kind of love? I first came across that expression that gravity is love in the inanimate world in the writings of Teilhard de Chardin. And I really enjoyed that concept that God has so created the universe in such a way that those acts of nature, as we call them, are in fact a reflection of the divine presence within this world. That everything that is has a relationship to the other in an expression of love that fits the type of matter or the type of being that it is. That gravity is just our name for God's love in the inanimate world. That love is the very essence of existence itself in both animate and inanimate that, in fact, love is the core of our humanity. In fact, love is the core of all creation itself. Kreef goes on to say, we are not freaks, speaking of us as human beings. We fit into the universe. We are the keystone of the arch, the last piece of this cosmic jigsaw puzzle, the top creature on the cosmic totem pole. Everything else is a little like us in a hierarchy of varying degrees. Everything in the hierarchy moves by love. Physical gravity is a physical form of love. Vegetative growth is another kind of love. Infinite love created many finite versions of love. Now I bring all that Christian philosophy and Christian theology into our study today because the lectionary has taken us to this whole idea of wisdom. What is wisdom? In any kind of real sense, a wise person is someone who understands the basic core of existence. Our physical, emotional, spiritual existence has meaning. It has some kind of core interaction. And to be wise is to live in harmony with that core. To be unwise, to be foolish, is to live in perpendicular conflict with the love of God or the core of our existence. Any form, in fact, of any intellectual or culture or, in fact, religious prejudice that lives outside of the reality is not a wise person. A wise person lives with what is and lives in harmony with it. 
So it's no wonder that our text today, coming from the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, explains to us that when God created this this combined physical-spiritual creation in which you and I are a part, he also created wisdom and the ability to live in harmony with this physical-spiritual creation in which we live. Another way of saying it is to say that God gave humanity the ability to know and that this knowledge is wisdom. And this wisdom comes from God just as creation itself comes from God. So we want to understand that today. So we're going to go to this eighth chapter of Proverbs. We're going to read the first four verses and then we'll skip some and read a few more. The gifts of wisdom. Does not wisdom call and does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries out, To you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all that live. And then moving on down to verse 22. Wisdom herself is speaking to us. Wisdom is the Greek word Sophia. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth. When he had not yet made earth and fields, or the world's first bits of soil. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. Now keep that open before you. Let's pray. Father, to live with wisdom is our goal. No one wants to, to be foolish and to be caught in conflict with what is real. And yet, Father, it's, it's sometimes difficult for us to understand that. So speak to each of us today. You know where we are in this journey towards wisdom and knowledge, belief, obedience. So speak to each of us. And, of course, we'll give you the praise. We pray it in the name of our Redeemer, Jesus. Amen. Another way of describing wisdom, perhaps, is to say that to be wise is to be within the will of God. That God wills love throughout all his creation, and to not live in his love, to not do his will on earth as his will is being done in heaven, is to live a foolish life, an unwise life. A life that is out of step with the very core of God's will for his very existence, not just for us as individuals. 
Thus, when we pray as our Lord taught us and acknowledge that our Father in heaven has a kingdom that is coming and a will that is to be done, then we, of course, have to ask ourselves, how do we do that? How do we do his will? How do we bring his kingdom? And the answer at its core is to love. For all of creation is a reflection of the love of God. Now a few weeks ago, we looked at love incarnate, love in the flesh. And we saw that it's Jesus' example that tells us how far we should go in expressing that love. And we realize that there's no limit to love. We have to be willing to lay down our lives that love might be expressed. Whatever that looks like at any given moment in the various experiences that we have in our lives. At the core, his will is love. Now we follow up on that today and we say that wisdom was created by God before anything else. In other words, all things fit this wise love will of God. And it's a gift to us so that we could understand. God does not expect us to live in some kind of trial and error universe where we try to figure out the meaning in life. He wants us to know that love is the meaning and that all of existence is communicating and calling to us and pulling that out of us so that we could understand that love is a far more transcendent experience than most human beings understand. That it blends together matter and, and uh, spirit in this wonderful union of God's creation. Eternally, on earth as it is in heaven, love is wise. Why wisdom is love. So if that's true, then the question, of course, that you and I have to ask ourselves is, are we wise? Do we love? Do we love in a way that puts us in harmony with all of creation, with God, and with others? Is God's love within us such that we are helping his kingdom come, his will to be done? Well, to answer those questions, if you've uh, followed God for very long, you know it's a lifelong quest. There are moments in our lives when we are in harmony with God more than we are, were at other moments. In fact, at my age, I've discovered there's whole decades when I'm more in the will of God and in his love and living by his will than I have been in other decades of my life. That there are moments when, in fact, I'm going in a direction that is bringing about a, a fullness that I, I can only begin to imagine when I wasn't walking in his ways, loving with his love. So the question that we ask is not at any given moment, am I perfect in my love and perfect in my obedience, but rather, am I in the direction of God's will and is my journey taking me to a place where I will be ultimate love and I will care more for God and others than for selfish gain or self-serving ways. What direction is the journey of my life? Well, here the, the uh, Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, gives us two wonderful interactive truths. First, wisdom is always calling out to us. And second, wisdom comes from everywhere. It's embedded into the very core of physical spiritual existence. So first, 
Wisdom is always calling out to us. Notice again how Sophia, wisdom, is always calling. The Proverbs asks the question and then answers it. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? And the answer then, of course, is yes. If you rise in geography or if you rise in success, wisdom will call when you are in that place. If you are on a journey in geography or in spiritual life, wisdom is beside you. If you are at a crossroads and you have to make a decision, wisdom will give you a place to stand, to evaluate. At every gate and at every entrance into some new opportunity or some new privilege, wisdom will enter that place with you. Wisdom provides that ever-present understanding such that we can know the direction. So the question is not, how can I find wisdom? Like wisdom is some kind of elusive thing that we have to go somewhere else and try to seek. The question is, will I answer the call of wisdom that is present in my life at every moment and in every opportunity? God created wisdom before he created you or me, and he created it so that we could live in harmony with his intent in our world. Wisdom is within the reality within which you and I live. It is living in harmony with God and creation. Now, I could give you literally thousands of examples of that. I've, I've told you before that there's a game my mom used to play with us. I, I come from a family of five kids. And uh, she would uh, sit us around and she would say, okay, I want you to try to stump me. Try to think of anything that does not give you a good analogy of God. And we would try to think of something like a light bulb. And of course, she would talk about how God is the light of the world and he comes in and takes a power source and so on. And we, I tried one time sewer. And, and she said, well, of course, God takes away all the stuff that's not good in your life and removes it. And, and you know, we would, we would just you know, play it by the hour because we'd always try to stump her that this world doesn't reflect God's truth. And she, she, she built it deep into my core. Uh, that is true. And I could literally give you thousands of examples of how the created world in which we live is a reflection of the wisdom of God and of his deep and abiding love. One that came just a few weeks ago, and so it's real fresh to me, I want to share with you. I have a friend who is telling me that a total solar eclipse is unique on the Earth in our solar system. Other planets, of course, have their moons, but because of the exact proportionate size of our moon to the sun and the exact distance of the moon to the Earth, we alone have a total solar eclipse. And then my friend went on to say, now think about the Christian message of that. And of course, wisdom communicates to us in this, and it says the sun, this amazing, blazing, powerful, light and life-giving orb, is 400 times greater than the size of the moon. There's no comparison between them, either in size or in importance, especially in our own existence and our own, own light. But the moon is exactly 400 times closer to us than the sun, such that this little piece of dirt 
can completely blot out the sun's provision of light and life for us. Now, you can see the, the message of wisdom immediately. It's the same message we received from God on Mount Sinai when he wrote in stone, You shall have no other gods before me, between me and you, closer to you than me. If you do, then even the greatness of my light and life will be blocked out and you will not be able to receive who I am in your life. So the very first message of wisdom is to not let anything come between you and God. For if you do, you've made it your God and you go from wisdom to lunacy. Now as you can see, the wisdom is present then in all of creation, and it calls out to us. And so the question then that you and I have to answer is, are we answering the call of wisdom in all the moments and circumstances of our lives? Do we live with the love of God that allows God to be first and others to be loved or not? And if we don't, what kind of lunacy have we allowed to get into our life, to get between us and the Creator God? <coughs> now, you could say, well, you know, I, I, I missed that. I didn't know that about the sun. I didn't know that proportionate uh, thing about the sun. And we could agree that there are many messages, millions, probably billions of messages that God is giving to us, calling out to us, every day from his created order. But that takes us to the second lesson of the Proverbs. That not only is wisdom always calling out to us, wanting us to respond, but it comes from everywhere. It's embedded in every part of God's creation. It's not so much that we have to look for it, as I said, is it that we have to run from it. We have to avoid it. We have to keep away from it. We have to not think about life and creation and what all of this is about. We have to not go to any good movies or read any good books, let alone listen to our own conscience, let alone listen to a biblical sermon. The psalmist declares it this way in Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. I love that paradoxical reality that the psalmist is describing. Day to day, sunrise to sunset, Waves and winds, rain and drought, day to day pours forth speech. Yet there is no speech, there are no words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Creation itself is, is woven not only with the love of God as a reflection of his handiwork, his creative presence. 
but also with wisdom such that all creation speaks for God. And these voices will continue to speak until the end of this physical world, until the end of time. In my own area, there's a fascinating book I read a few years ago entitled The Spiritual Brain, A Neuroscientist's Case for the Existence of the Soul. What these researchers found is that genuine, life-changing spiritual events can be documented. He offers compelling evidence that religious experiences have a non-material origin, making a convincing case that it is God who creates our spiritual experiences and not the brain. Now that we have these instruments that can evaluate a live, functioning brain, the voice of the brain begins to speak loudly to us about the power and presence of God. There's more to us than this little three-pound neuro circuitry up here. There's a soul that uses brain and body and experience and reality to connect us with God and with one another and with all of creation itself. The wisdom of God invades even the processing of our brains as well as the movement of the sun and the moon. But speaking very honestly, if there is anything that is lacking in the modern world, it is wisdom, the love of God, the will of God, harmony with creation and with others. God's wisdom is everywhere, embedded in everything, calling to us continually. But are we listening? Let's spend time listening to God. <laughs>